If you turn with us to Exodus chapter 27. Exodus chapter 27. We're looking at the tabernacle. And we've been going through the teaching on the tabernacle. And we've looked and we've come to the first piece of the furnishing of the tabernacle. And that's the bronze altar. It's also the largest piece of furniture in the tabernacle, by the way. And when you go through the gate, we talked about it, but when you go through the gate, and Spencer will flash a picture of it up in just a minute. When you go through the gate, it's the first piece you encounter. It's the first thing you come to is the, is the bronze altar. Let's read from last week, and we're going to read uh, Exodus 27. We didn't finish, so this is the second part of the message on the bronze altar. And we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 8. Will you stand with me again in reverence and respect to God's Word? Exodus 27, 1 through 8. The Bible says, You shall make an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits wide. The altar shall be square, and its height shall be three cubits. You shall make its horns on its four corners. Its horns shall be one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. Also, you shall make it bake its pans to receive its ashes, and its shovels, and its basins, and forks, and its fire pans. You shall make all its utensils of bronze. You shall make a gate for it, a network, a grate, I'm sorry, for it, a network of bronze. And on the network you shall make four bronze rings at its four corners. You shall put under it the rim of the, under the rim of the altar beneath that the network may be midway up the altar. And you shall make poles for the altars, poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze. The poles shall be put in the rings, and the poles shall be on the two sides of the altar to bear it. You shall make it hollow with boards. As it was shown you on the mountain, so shall you make it. Okay, thank you very much. You may be seated. As we talked about last week and looking at our picture of the tabernacle there, there's one gate over on this side that always faces the east. And we talked about the fact that there's only one way to God, and it's through Jesus. Jesus said this in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. The word shepherd, Jesus calls himself the great shepherd, the good shepherd in John chapter 10. That word shepherd means doorway. He is the gate. He's the doorway. And when you come in to the tabernacle, the first piece of furniture, which is the largest piece of furniture like we talked about last week, that you come to would be the bronze altar. Now the bronze altar is a picture of Calvary. The bronze altar is a picture of Calvary. Once you come into the gate, the first thing you see is the cross. The songwriter hymned it this, penned it this way. The way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. It's sweet to know as I onward go that the way of the cross leads home. There's no other way to God except through the death, burial, and resurrection of His blessed Son. The cross is the doorway. The cross is the entryway. The cross is Jesus. And that's what the bronze altar pictures. We talked about last week, and the symbolism of this altar is tremendous. We'll never be able to get to it all, but I'm just going to hit some of the highlights. But the bronze altar, it's also called the brazen altar. In some of the texts, you might see it referred to. And the word altar, from which the Hebrew word under, under, underlying that word means slaughter place. It means place of slaughter. So it's a bloody altar. The Bible is a bloody book. This is where the blood sacrifice was yielded up and burnt was on that altar. So that altar means, that word means place of slaughter. Now, in Leviticus 17, verses 3 through 5, the Bible says that's the only place these sacrifices could be made. If you recognize the need for a sacrifice and you realize that you've broken the law, 
and you take it upon yourself to take the best goat or the best sheep or the best bull that you have in your family and alter up a sacrifice in the tent somewhere, the Bible says that you're to be cut off from Israel forever if you do that. That's a symbolic of the fact that, again, Jesus Christ is the only way. God has decreed that the only way He can be known is through the substitutionary death of His Son and those who place faith and trust in Him as their sin bearer. So any kind of all, any kind of sacrifice that was made outside God's prescribed way would cut you off from Israel forever. And that's symbolic of the fact that salvation is only through Him. Now, the wood, the acacia wood that's used, that was, a, that was a wood that was prevalent in the Mount Sinai district right there. And it was very hard, very, very, very hard wood. And it symbolizes humanity. And that the, when the wood was used and overlaid with brass, the brass, like we talked about last week, symbolizes God's judgment. And that, that God's judgment upon human sin is what? The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And so it shows how that God's judgment absolutely encapsulates humanity. But yet God sent somebody to take the judgment in mind in your place. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And so the, the, and then the, all the rest of the altar, all the rest of the, the bronze altar is made out of uh, pure bronze. And we told, talked about the fact that they brought that back from Egypt. We talked about the fact that when you look at the altar, it's five uh, cubits square. It's five uh, cubits on one side, all four sides, which today will be equivalent to seven and a half feet. It's three cubits high, which is equivalent to four and a half feet to us. The five cubit squares, the, the, the number in the Bible that relates to grace is the number five. And so it shows that grace is extended in every direction, in every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. The number three in the Bible is symbolic of the Trinity. And it speaks of the Trinitarian involvement in our salvation. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. And then it says in Hebrews 9.14 that Christ, through the eternal Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, offered Himself up without spot to God. So you have God in Christ, the Holy Spirit, offering the Son up, and you have the Trinitarian involvement in our salvation. That's why it's three cubits high. It denotes the Trinity. Okay, now... The horns around the altar, you'll see on each altar, on each corner, there are horns there. That horn, those horns are symbolic of power. Of power. Did you know if you're here this morning and you've been changed by the gospel, you were changed by the dynamite of God? Did you know that the Bible says that the gospel is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to also the Greek? And that word power comes from the Greek word from which we get that word dynamite. The dynamite of God that can take somebody who's lost in their sins, bound for eternity in hell, and the sure judgment of God, liberate us from His judgment, lift our sins off of us and make us brand new people. It's a powerful message. Amen. We serve a powerful Savior. And that's what those horns denote. Those, those horns denote power. They're on all four corners, which denotes the fact that the gospel is going to go to every nook and cranny in every four corners of the earth and be spread across all the earth. And the Bible says in Matthew 24, 14, Jesus said this, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. And so the gospel is open, 
We talked about the court where you go into the brass altar is open 24-7. That's why? Because today is the day of salvation. The windows of heaven have been opened by the cross of Jesus Christ. And the Lord says now, before He shuts off the last vestige of His grace, even so, come, drink of the water of life free. Now, those horns were also used to bind the sacrifice. And we're going to get back to that in a minute. So what you would do is you take the animal sacrifice, lay it down there on the grate, which is down halfway uh, laid down in the middle. And the sacrifice would lay down on top of the grate. And they would take ropes and take the sacrifice and bind it to that grate. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. The grate was midway. It was midway into the altar. So when you look down in there and you see the grate, it's kind of like the top of your grill. You know, we grill out. We grilled out yesterday and I burnt everything. And so we, when we uh, do the grill... You know, the grill that lays on top of the fire. That's what that is. And it's midway in between. Remember now, it's just as far below it as it is above it. It's right in the middle. By the way, it's the same height as the table. That's another furnishing that you see on into the... And it's the same height as the Ark of the Covenant. That table and that Ark and that grate are all on the same level. You know why? Because fellowship with God and the mercy seat were both made possible through Calvary. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And then what would happen is you would come and you would bring your sacrifice. And when you brought the sacrifice, the priest would meet you at the door of the tabernacle as you walk in. And when you walk in the door of the tabernacle, the priest would first examine what? The priest would examine the sacrifice. He wouldn't go to look it in your hair to see what he could find. He wouldn't be going trying to depart your hair and just going through there and seeing... You know, is there any lice in there? Ticks? Anything like that? He wouldn't be examining those who brought the sacrifice. He'd be, bring, he'd be examining the sacrificial animal. Let me tell you something right now. Your eternity rises and falls based on what you believe about Jesus Christ. And you need to examine the Lamb. And I'm going to tell you something right now. He stood up to scrutiny through the ages. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. He's the perfect Lamb of God. He is enough. Every day, people are examining the Lamb and they're making a decision. Either I'm going to trust that that's God's provision or I'm not going to trust that that's God's provision. Either He's lying when He says He's the only way and that He's the living Son of God or He is the only way and He's the living Son of God. One way or another, eternity rises and falls based on what we believe about Jesus Christ. So when the, when the sacrificial animal was brought up, there was no examination of the one who brought it. God already knew the reason you would bring it is because you're defiled. You wouldn't be there to offer up a substitute to cover for your sin if you were okay. The priest pays no attention to those who brought it, but he scrutinizes the quality of the sacrifice. You know why? Because it has to be according to God's prescription. It has to be a valuable and perfect, not unwanted or flawed. You wouldn't take from the flock some goat that was sickly, that was on its last leg, was a couple of breaths from death. There's no sacrifice involved in that. And what the Lord's showing us there is that He wants us to understand that God provided the perfect sacrifice in His Son. The Bible says you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Hallelujah. He's the perfect lamb of God. 
It's an undeserving recipient of a deserved punishment. That lamb's there. He's unblemished. He's the firstborn. He's robust. He's got a future. He's done nothing wrong. And that you come and offer that lamb, and that lamb dies in the place of the one who deserves to die. Does that sound familiar? He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Hallelujah. He laid his hands on his head after the priest examined it and said, okay, the sacrifice is according to the prescribed order. God's teaching us to trust in his provision and not our own. And the priest says, okay, you passed the scrutiny, you passed the test. And then I want you to see something that's amazing. What happened then is according to Exodus chapter 29, verse 11. We're not going to go there, but I'll just give you the reference. According to Exodus chapter 29, verse 11, a blow was made, a mortal blow was made to the sacrifice at the gate. Now, I don't know if that means uh, from the Scriptures. This is what I assume it means. I think it means that once you got into the gate with your sacrifice and the priest approved it, he would lay his hands on top of the sacrifice to symbolize that your sin was being laid on top of that animal. And then some kind of blow would be made to him, some mortal blow would be made to him, and probably his throat would be cut at that time, and they would begin to bleed him there. Before they ever get up on the altar. Before they ever get up on the altar. Now that's significant. When we, when we peer into the... We're going to learn something about the crucifixion that's just going to bless you here. I want you to look at uh, Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, verse 13. Look at Genesis 22, 13. Now the Bible says that these horns are around the altar. You see them on each four corner. We talked about that and we said we're going to come back to that. Those horns were used to bind the sacrifice. The first time the word horn in the Hebrew is used, that same Hebrew word for horn, the very first time it's used in the Bible is here. This is when Abraham was called upon to offer up his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. And you'll recall the story. Abraham was being tested. God was testing his faith. Not for God's benefit, but for his and ours. And he had told, called upon him to take his son of promise, Isaac, go up to Mount Moriah and offer him up as a sacrifice in pure obedience to the Father's will. He gets up there, and when he gets up there, God prevents him from doing it and says, now I know, now I know you trust me. And there's a ram caught in the thicket. And I want you to look at verse 13. It says, Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Okay, the horns that we learned about in Exodus 27 and the horns that are listed here is the same Hebrew word. So he was caught by its horns. That word means somebody caught in a sacrifice. Caught in a sacrifice. Bound up for sacrifice. Now, let's look at Psalm 118. Follow with me. Look at Psalm 118. Psalm 118. And we're going to look at verses 24 through 27. Now, we've talked about this before. And we've shared this before. This is amazing to me. The Bible says that after Jesus celebrated the Last Supper, the Passover with His disciples, that um, after they finished, on the eve of His death, you remember what they did. 
What did they do? Anybody remember? They sang a hymn. That's what the scriptures say. That's what we'll often do after we finish the Lord's Supper. We'll celebrate communion, and oftentimes we'll come in behind the communion celebration, and we'll uh, we'll sing a hymn. Well, we get that from scripture. But the hymn that they sang is called the Hallel, and it would have included the entire Psalm 118. That's what they traditionally sang after they finished breaking the bread of the Passover. So we know the song they sang. You can turn, instead of turning in your hymnals to see what song they sang, we can just turn in the Bible and say, turn to Psalm 118. And that's what they sang on the eve of his death. Now, that's probably going to change forever. It has me. Verse 24 for you. Because, again, we've talked about this time and again, but I'm telling you right now, we serve a great Savior. And on the eve of Jesus' death on the cross, knowing what he was to face, he sang in a praise chorus with the disciples, This is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. That's amazing. He sang over his death. He rejoiced over being able to submit to the Father's will, offering himself up as a sacrificial lamb on Calvary. And he was singing a chorus of praise because when he sang that, when he said, this is the day that the Lord had made, he was talking about the day of his death. But then he moves on and watch what he says here. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Jesus singing over the privilege of obeying the Father's will, glorifying the Father on earth like His name had never been glorified, and by the way, purchasing you. Hallelujah. He loves you. He loves us, y'all, that He was celebrated with that. Then He says this. He's singing this now. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray... Send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord and he has given us light. And watch this. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. That word that horns is translated from is the same word in Genesis 22 and it's the same word in Exodus 27 and it refers to these horns. And what the Savior is saying is this. Guys, back there when you used to take those sacrifices and you'd bind them to the altar, I'm fixing to be bound. I'm going to be bound to the altar of God's indignation and His wrath and I'm going to do it on your behalf. Praise His glorious name. Now let me tell you what happened. The great, now follow me with this, now watch this. The great was halfway down the middle. So the great was not as high up as that drawing indicates. The great was a, was a little bit further down. It was halfway. Okay? Here's what happens. You bring in the animal sacrifice. The priest approves it. Lays his hands on it. Symbolically transferring your sin to him. Knowing that that really is a picture of Jesus cuts that lamb's throat, cuts the bull's throat, cuts the goat's throat, begins to bleed him right there, but he's not quite dead. In full view of everybody. See, we can all see that. We can all watch, and if we were standing at the door of the tabernacle, and you're in line, and you're next, 
and you're waiting for your sacrifice and you watch and let's say Ray and Cindy are up there and they're with a goat and they cut that goat's throat and they begin to bleed him to death right there to, to, to cover up your sin. And I'm watching that happen in full view of humanity. All right, While there's still life in that goat, while there's still life in that lamb, while there's still life in that bull, whatever the animal might be, there's enough life in him to where you would have to take him and go and once you put him in there and you begin to bleed him, you're going to burn that body. And you take him and you have to bind him and tie him to that grate. You know why you have to tie him to that grate? You have to tie him to that grate because that grate is red hot. There's fire underneath that grate. And no animal, no matter how much life's got left in him, is going to allow you to do that unless he's bound to that, those horns of that altar. He's not going to let you do that. He's going to pitch a fit. So you bind him. Once he gets laid down into that altar, you can't see him anymore. You can't see him anymore. You could see him when his throat was being cut. It was in full view. Once you laid him down to the altar and you bound him down there, his back is beginning to be burned. He's experiencing what is the type of the wrath of God. Take this to the cross. Take this to the cross. And Spencer's going to put the verse up there for me. Take a trip. I want you to look at this. Matthew chapter 27. Look at Matthew chapter 27. And we're going to look. At verse 45. Jesus is singing. On the eve of His death, He's singing. This, Father, is the day that You have made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that I'm going to lay down my life and sacrifice for our sins. Every one of them, I'm going to pay for them today. I am going to drink the cup of Your wrath today. Everything that you and I, Father, have hated from time and eternity and always will hate, sin and iniquity, I'm going to take upon myself everything that the redeemed have done. I'm going to take it upon myself. And I am going to submit to your will and allow you to take the full measure of your wrath and run me over with it because I love you and I love people. Hallelujah to His name. And then He says what? Lord, bind the sacrifice to the altar. Who's he talking about? He's not talking about a, a goat or a bull or a sheep. He's talking about himself. God, bind me. Put me on that altar. Bind me there. And look what wound up happening. Look at Matthew 27, 45. You know, the, you're familiar with this. Look what he says. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness all over the land. And at about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sambachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let's go to Calvary's Hill for a moment. As you know the story, He was on the cross for six hours. He was on there from nine o'clock in the morning till three o'clock in the afternoon. You know the story. For the first three hours, in full view, sound familiar? In full view of every one of us, we could watch what was happening. And for three hours, with the lights of heaven turned on, He incurred the wrath of man. He was brutally, brutally treated. The crown of thorns. There were brutal blows that were made to Him. Just like the lamb was cut. Just inside the door, in full view of everybody. And so the first three hours, he laid up there and he incurred the wrath of men. Oh, but my goodness, there was a transition point three hours in. And at that transition point three hours in, darkness covered the entire earth. And Jesus looks up into heaven, we just heard, and says, my God, my God, 
Why hast thou forsaken me? He said, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit turned their back on God the Son for the very first time ever. In eternity past or in eternity future. That's never happened before. And friends, it will never happen again because it was enough. God the Holy Spirit, God the Father turned their back on God the Son. Why? Because of our sin. And it was the equivalent. It was the equivalent in the first three hours. It was the equivalent of that lamb being his throat cut and they're bleeding him to death. There's still enough life left in him. And in the second three hours, what do they do? He's bound on the altar to the horns and on his back. He's, he is incurring the wrath of God that's incurred in the very depths and bowels of hell itself. Hallelujah. 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 Do you see what was happening on the cross? We get to peer into that. This is why we need to study the Old and New Testament in light of one another and cross-reference it. We get to peer into glory and realize that when He said at that transition point, the whole earth turned dark, that's when the Lord, God in heaven above, took His only begotten Son and bound Him with cords to the altar and put Him on that fiery furnace and He incurred the very wrath of hell separated from an eternal holy God. He incurred it so you and I never will have to. Hallelujah. What a Savior. What a Savior. What a Savior. And yet God, God, the, God the Son would sing about that. God the Son would call forth and call it bind, bind the sacrifice on the altar. Come Lord, I am here to do Thy will. I'm here to do thy will. And he submitted like a lamb going to the slaughter. His throat was cut in full view of humanity. His blood was spilt. And it was a mortal blow, but there was still enough life left in him to where he had to be bound. And he was bound on those horns on that altar. And when he was, he was put on top of that grate. And on top of that grate was nothing other than the fire of hell. And he took it for you and I. Hallelujah. Two applications here this morning. I have to recommend Jesus to you. Because let me tell you this. If you don't know Him, you were born into this world into sin. God said that the soul that sins, it shall die. God's a just God. And we've broken His law. Every last one of us. There's not a one of us in here who's exempt from this. And not a one of us. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We look at each other. We look at peers. And we watch. And we try to see how other people do. And God's not going to judge us on that basis. God's going to judge us on the basis of the truth. And He has said, If you sin against Me, you shall die. That death He talks about is separation from Him in hell throughout all eternity. The absence of God. God will not be in hell except in one area. And that's His wrath. But He will the, the presence of perfect love to be cast out for eternity in the face of perfect love, peace, and grace of a just and holy God, and to be separated from Him, that's, that is the wages of sin. That's what He's talking about. But God so loved you and me that He sent His only begotten Son, and that God took the, pa the, the, the penalty of all of that out on His Son. He put Him on that altar, and He incurred and suffered the wrath of hell for mine and your, not mine and your behalf. And now He opens up the way to have a relationship with Him through His Son and said, if you'll repent, and repent means to change your mind. God, 
I'm not worthy. God, I agree. I'm a sinner. God, I, I, I'm, I'm worthy of nothing but your wrath and judgment. I agree with you. I'm a sinner. And then put your faith in Jesus Christ as your sin bearer. The one who substitutionarily died for you. He died in your place. Examine the Lamb. He was spotless without blemish. And He was offered up so that you and I would never have to be offered up. And it's a gift. Salvation is a gift. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. It's a gift. It's free to you and I. But God paid for it through the blood of His Son. That's the Gospel. That's the great news. And while heaven's open, and while there's an opportunity, say yes to Jesus. Repent toward God. Put your faith in His Son, the perfect sacrifice. He will cleanse you forever. And He will make you brand new. And believer, the application to you and I is this. We've talked about this time and again. If you're a believer here this morning, you have received the work of the cross for you. But that begins a journey whereby God wants to do the work of the cross in you. And we should have the disposition. We have the potential to have the disposition that Jesus had toward the cross. He didn't run away from it. He ran to it. And called forth God's perfect work because that's what He came to do. And some of you feel like you're bound by your circumstances. You feel like the cords are binding you. You just want to escape. You want a new set of friends. And some of you may need new sets of friends. But maybe some of you, right where you are, you want a new set of circumstances. You want a new job. I want this and I want that. If all of these things will change, I'll get right with God. That's not true. That's not true. It's not circumstances that God wants to change. It's your heart. And God uses circumstances to change our heart. And rather than calling forth to get out of the places we are, we need to call forth and say, God, bind me there and let me learn everything that I've got to learn so that you can burn off everything out of my life that's not looked like you. That we would say, Lord, I rejoice not only in the work of the cross that you did for me, but Lord, I'm, working, I'm rejoicing in the work of the cross that you want to do in me. Have your perfect way. Let the Lord strip you of unforgiveness, fear, doubts, uncertainty, disbelief, any kind of sin that's encroached that He wants to get rid of. Let Him do His work. Have the Spirit that Jesus had who said, this is the day. Watch this. It didn't say this is the day the Romans have made. It didn't say this is the day the Jewish mob made. This is the day that things got out of control and got out of hand. This is the day that the Lord has made. Dear ones, we serve a sovereign God. And He's in charge. And He's got you where He's got you in order to conform you into the image of His Son. And the only way is through identification with that cross. He took it so we wouldn't have to. And now we can rejoice over whatever He's doing in my life to make me more like His Son. I have the potential to do that if I'll, let it, if I'll submit. And I can get up in the morning. Hey, that song's changed meaning for me. 
We talked about it before. We sing it. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. That the Lord has made. I will rejoice. I will rejoice and be glad in it. You've heard it. Jesus sang that on the eve of his death. Furthermore, Father, bind the sacrifice to the bronze altar. I will take, raise hell. I'll take Angela's hell. I'll take Lindsay's hell. I'll take Elaine's hell. I'll take your hell. And the sovereign God of this universe suffered so we never have to. Amen. You talking about a Savior? You talking about a Savior? We serve a wonderful Savior.